welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. All right, let's read some scripture. Uh, if you're taking, if you're taking uh, uh, notes, uh, we're just calling this Palm Sunday Church. It's nothing flashy. Uh, let's read Jeremiah 7. So, um, keeping, we're, we're going to read some scripture, but we want to keep in mind what Jesus is saying during the temple cleansing. Okay? Uh, there's this theological, biblical interpretive idea called intertextuality. Intertextuality is uh, this idea that when Jesus says stuff, usually he's alluding to things in the Bible. Like the book of Revelation is got 400 verses or something, and like there's over 400 references to Old Testament verses. So if you don't understand the Old Testament, you're not going to understand the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation isn't about how Bill Gates has the mark of the beast, or that the vaccine is the mark of the beast, right? That's, that's not what the book of Revelation is about. But you'd only know that if you knew the Old Testament. So it's important to understand the Old Testament, which was Jesus' Bible, it was the, new, the early church's Bible, and it's your Bible, right, to understand what Jesus is trying to say. So here we go. Uh, Jeremiah 7. He says this, Be, uh, Behold, you trust in deceptive... Uh, there, there we go. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Right? That's like, man, that's a word for today. Right? Jeremiah the prophet saying, like, you guys are trash, and you're doing all this stupid stuff, and then you come to the temple, and you think it's just, it's, everything's chill. Right? Everything's not chill. Um, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Okay, so like when Jesus says the den of robbers, he's not saying, oh, there's oppression. I remember literally hearing somebody going, well, the reason why Jesus said den of robbers is because he remembers the oppression. He's remembering and, and recounting the oppression that his family experienced when they took him to the temple to be dedicated. And they would have had to buy doves to, to, to dedicate him. And they would have been robbed by the people that are selling the doves. And they were a poor family and they were taken advantage of. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, that's not in scripture. You literally just made that up through intersectionality, through, through like, your Marxist lens. And there's always, there's the greedy grabbers, and then there's everybody else. And so I read scripture through that lens. That's not what Jesus is saying. When he says den of robbers, he's trying to get everybody's attention and go, hey, remember Jeremiah 7? People that are pretending to be righteous, but really they're not. They've lifted themselves up to other idols. You guys following this? Okay? Like when Jesus says stuff, usually he's trying to make another point. Right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isn't, I've been kicked out of the Trinity. Right? Some people believe that. Oh, he's been kicked out. He's not part of the band anymore. No, I think the Trinity is a little stronger than sin. Right? Like Jesus ate sin for breakfast. Okay? 
Um, it doesn't mean that wasn't, there wasn't a sacrifice, okay? Uh, but he wasn't kicked out of the Trinity. It's ridiculous. When he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. And the point is, go, and it's messianic identification. Go read Psalm 22. What's the psalm about? Okay, this, okay, this is Jesus, right? Um, when Jesus quotes to the Pharisees out of the mouth of babes who've ordained praise, he doesn't finish the verse, but they could finish the verse. The, the verse goes on so that you could silence your accusers. And they're just like, <clears throat> you know? When Jesus quotes a verse, he's saying, go to the verse. There's something more here, right? But when we, when we see it, and this is the, the, the issue with reading scripture, you know, as a New Yorker, and, you know, and you've, you're obsessed with intersectionality, and it's like, oh, Den of Robbers. Yeah, Den of Robbers, my politics. Right? It's like, no, you're a Christian. Read the Bible like a Christian, not like somebody who's caught up in politics of the day. You hear me? Okay. Let's keep going. Spicy? Okay. <laughs> Behold, uh, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Uh, go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. Okay, so there's this place called Shiloh, and um, do you guys remember Eli and his two sons that were douchebags? <laughs> okay, so Eli is this priest who is the worst priest ever. He was the absolute worst priest. Um, I could go on and on and on, but it's just, it's, it's embarrassing. And then his sons are horrible, horrible, horrible priests. And people despise the offering of the Lord because of them, and they're sleeping with women in, in, the, in the temple, and all kinds of horrible things that are going on. And because of the way that they stewarded their priesthood, and there was no presence, people couldn't go to pray while they were in charge. There was no encounter with the presence of God God killed uh, Eli, and the ark was stolen by the Philistines. And, and then, you know, um, one of the, uh, the priest's son's uh, wives had a baby, and the baby was named Ichabod. The, the glory is departed. And so the, Jeremiah the prophet is saying, go back to Shiloh. Do you remember at Shiloh what happened when people, you know, thought that the temple, you know, oh, I, I go to church, and so I'm good. Uh, yeah, that's not how this thing works. It's not how this thing works. You need to worship in spirit and in truth. Um, and if you don't, I'm going to make you like Shiloh. Right? It's, like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like a judgment here. And so what ha what's happening is Jesus is about to make the temple redundant. Because he's going, you've missed the whole point. This was supposed to be about presence and about encounter. And I'm going to do to this temple like I did to Shiloh. Um, and now because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust and to the place that I give to you and your fathers as I did to Shiloh. So that's an incredible passage. Okay, let's go to Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56. Um, Let not the foreigner, this is so cool, who has joined himself to the Lord, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. Better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, 
That's a good verse. To love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So Isaiah is obviously saying, hey, like people who feel like I'm never going to be anything, my life is never going to amount to anything, man, if you join to the Lord, God's going to make you so fruitful, it's going to be insane. Okay, so when Jesus goes in, and we're going to read this now, Mark 11, Jesus is going to quote from, he's quoting from both Jeremiah and Isaiah. Paul the Apostle and Jesus did this all the time. They would mash verses. And so for us, once again, we're not aware of intertextuality, um, but these guys are just mashing these verses to create this theology. We often do it actually as, in, like, we, we do this to Paul as, as, as preachers. We'll, like, preach, preachers will be praying, and they'll, like, mash a couple New Testament verses together. Well, this is how, we, we, we learned this from Jesus and Paul, who did this in the Old Testament, okay? Um, but it's important to, once again, keep in mind what verses Jesus is quoting from and what are his theological aims. So, uh, here's Mark, Mark 11, Mark 11, 1. Uh, now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and, Beth, and Bethany, Bethpage and Bethany were these twin uh, little towns, and it was actually Jesus' uh, ministry headquarters. Uh, I believe Bethany was where uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, his best friends, uh, were from, and so this is like his, this is his, his campaign headquarters, and so he's, he, he stops in Bethany and Bethpage to see his best friends, the week before he's about to die. And now he sets his face towards Jerusalem. Um, so um, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to them, uh, why are you doing this? Say that the Lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately. Uh, and they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. Uh, and some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? <laughs> You're stealing public property. Um, I'm, doing, I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm commandeering this colt for Jesus. And I've tried that before. <laughs> Didn't work. Uh, they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Um, and those who went out before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord. Just pause really quickly. So you got Jesus is staging uh, what is called um, a, per, uh, a parousia or a parousia. It's a Greek term that's actually used in 1 Thessalonians 4. Um, and the, the concept is essentially that when a ruler or a magistrate would come into a city, they would do this procession. So they'd meet the ruler uh, or the magistrate or like a, um, a victor outside of the city, and then they'd welcome him into the city. And that is actually the return of Christ in 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul literally employs this term, uh, parousia, that when Jesus comes back, everybody's going to see him. It's going to be like a giant, obvious event, not like something that happens in the dark. And like, oh, did Jesus come? You know, like, there's not going to be like this secret return. It's going to be a big, obvious return. And then we're going to go out and meet him in the sky. We're going to be floating like, what is happening? This is insanity. <laughs> and then he comes back to the earth. He's come, he comes into Jerusalem to stay. 
Does that make sense? Where he's going to be the king forever. And then we're going to be resurrected. It's going to be insane. Um, okay, so Jesus is foreshadowing the way he's going to return. So he stages this kingly procession, this parousia, and he's, he comes in on a little donkey. The reason why he comes in on a donkey was because the, the kings of Israel were told to ride on donkeys, not on horses, because horses were like, oh, I'm strong, I'm pretty sweet. Look at this sweet horse, like the equivalent of, I don't know, like a, the Pope Mobile or whatever. Um, and... And David and his sons, they rode on donkeys to show their dependence on God, right? So it's like, it's lo oh, he's lowly. Oh, he's humble. He's, you know, he's driving a, a fiat. You, you hear me? You know what I mean? Oh, here comes Jesus in a 1997 Nissan Maxima. So dependent on God, right? That is the dependent on God vehicle of choice, the 97 Maxima. So... So, so, so Jesus is coming in, and he's got this donkey, and donkeys suck, and he's like, ah, but it's like, it is what it is. I'm, you know, but he's, he's teaching us, hey, be dependent on God. That, that, what, it, what does it mean to be human? This is part of the reason why Jesus came, to show us what it means to be human. D dependence on God, that is truly human, right? Um, and, and even kings. So we're kings, dependent on Father, right? So then they stage this thing, and you've got palm trees, uh, or, or palm branches, and the idea is sort of uh, uh, creation is awaiting the king's return. I mean, it's literally a, a theological concept in the book of Romans, right, that all creation is basically groaning for Jesus to come back, right? Like the environment is going, this sucks, come back, Jesus. Legit, that's, that's, that's true. Um, and, and they're waiting for you to be, you know what I mean, to be a better version of you as well. That's what Paul says. All creation groans for the sons of God to be revealed. It's like, be, get resurrected already. And so the, the creation is involved in Jesus coming back. It's really cool. Okay, let's keep reading. Uh, and he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And you, you notice that. So he comes into Jerusalem. Jerusalem belongs to Jesus. It's his city. Belongs to him. The city belongs to Jesus. He is the king of this city. Now, it's king by ancestral right. He is the son of David. It's literally his, his, his messianic identity is being an actual king. And so he's going to come into the city that belongs to him. Um, and that's cool. But the, the next place he's going to go is the temple. Because the temple belongs to him. Right? He's king of the city. And he's king in the temple, which means he's God. Okay. Uh, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. So he goes to the temple, then he goes back to Bethany, chill with his friends. And then he's going to come back to the temple the next day. Seeing the distance of fig tree and, and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. He was hungry. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And, and the disciples heard it. And they're like, dude, calm down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can't be angry at a fig tree for not having figs when you're hungry. It's not in season. But Jesus is making a theological point. Like, Israel is the fig tree, and you needed to be ready for my coming, and you're not. You're out of season. And so what happens to things when they're not ready when I come back? They're Dunzel Washington. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break you. You will be broken. 
Okay, and they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables. That's that, that's that, that great verse. Jesus is turning over tables, man. Yeah, revolution. Viva la revolution. Right? Oh, okay, that's what that means. And he overturned the tables of, of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. <laughs> pigeons. <laughs> it's a great song, by the way. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. So, um, once again, intertextuality, uh, there's a lot in here. But there was like a rule where if you have to like carry watermelons to the other side of the temple, go around the temple, don't walk through the temple. Like, don't, because this is sacred space. This is like, right? But people were just going through the temple. You know, like, where are you do what are you doing with that? I have to go sell watermelons across the street. No, it's the temple, dude. You hearing me? So he's trying to, he's restoring some order. Um, let's keep going. I'll explain it in a second. And he was teaching them and saying to them, it, he was, Stop there. He was teaching them. So Jesus comes into the temple and then starts to teach. And he's, a number of, the, of these, um, these, these parallel passages, because the temple cleansing is in three of the, of the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then John, of course, puts the temple cleansing at the very beginning and confuses us all. But I don't think that John is on, I mean, this is the guy who wrote the book of Revelation. There's no way that he's on any sort of timeline whatsoever. I mean, John just completely disregards, it's 90% of the content in the book of John is unique to the Gospels. He's doing his own thing, he's telling his own story, don't tell him what to do, he'll tell you what to do, right? That's John. Um, but the, in the parallel passages, same thing, Jesus is teaching in the temple as well, so he begins to reorder it, and then he begins to teach in the temple, and this is what really gets him killed, ultimately, is he, he, he comes into the temple, he starts to reorder it, and the, it drives the Pharisees nuts. And from that point, they're like, this, guy, this man is dead um, because he's, he's disrupting our, you know, he's taking all of our, our things. He's touching our things. Don't touch our things. Um, he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer? And Mark is the only one that does the whole uh, for all nations. Um, this is important to note when you're thinking of the Gospels. Not every gospel writer is trying to accomplish the same thing theologically. That's why they're going to have different things missing. It's important for Mark. I mean, who's Mark's audience? It's a Roman audience. So he's writing to them and going, hey, like, it's a house of prayer for all nations, right? So y'all are included in this. Whereas Matthew's not going to give a rip about that and being included. You know what I mean? He's making a point about it being a place of encounter. Um, it's not that Matthew is racist and Mark is not. It's just they have different audiences and they have different theological um, significance and emphases. Are you following me? Um, but it's the reason why I've included uh, House of Prayer for All Nations is so that we could understand why Jesus blows his top at the money changers and all that stuff. Um, so my house shall be called a House of Prayer for All Nations. Where's that quote from? Isaiah. We read it. You guys remember that? Then, and you've made it a den of robbers. Where's that from? Jeremiah, right? So it's, we've, we've read the back of Isaiah, and the point is, is that God's going to all the nations. Yes, even you eunuchs who, your testicles are gone. You know, like, you can come to church too. Which, that's an important thing to understand, because in the Mosaic Law, if you didn't have testicles, you couldn't come to church. 
That was literally, that's verbatim. If a, there's, there, there's literally a verse that says if a man's tes testicles are crushed, don't, don't bother coming here. Like it was, it's weird, right? If, if you've been, you know, you've had, don't come. Jesus is going, no, there's, there's, a, <laughs> there's a place for everybody. <laughs> crushed testicles and all. I mean, you have a baseball accident, you're not getting into the temple. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help myself. I can't help myself. I, I want to help myself. I need help. <laughs> okay, so Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, this new covenant is not going to be an ethnocentric covenant for Jewish males only. Um, now, God was focused on the Jewish people because he was trying to teach a cosmic lesson. And he, he accomplished that. It's not that God is ethnocentric. He was just working with the Jewish people because of a guy named Abraham who believed him. He rejected the nations. And then Abraham just believed God. And so God's like, I'll make a nation of you. People who, you know, faith, whatever. whatever. Long story short. Isaiah is going, this is going to be for all nations. So... Um, there was literally, in, in the temple, uh, the temple worked like this. The external court was called the court of the Gentiles. And women and Gentiles were allowed to pray there. That was their space. Their space to come and encounter God, to pray. I mean, prayer is ultimately encounter, as I'll, 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 I'll show in a moment. Um, then the next court is the court of the Israelites. And that court was for Israelite men only. Okay? Then there was a court uh, for the, it was an inner court, and it was for priests. Okay? Then there was the holy place, and that was only for priests that are working that day. And then there's the holy of holies, and only one priest a year could go in there. So, right? Like it's, it's basically excluded, 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 right? And then like nobody can come in God's presence, right? And so obviously Jesus is going to change all that. When he dies, the, you know, the, the veil is torn. Now everybody has access. Um, but it wasn't necessarily about people being excluded. It was about God trying to communicate that he's holy and he's working with this one people of faith at the moment to teach a lesson. Ethnocentrism was never part of God's plan. Working with people of faith was God's plan. Does that make sense? It became ethnocentric because the Jews lost the reason why they were blessed. God was to bless them so that they'd be a blessing to the nations. They, they lost that, and so that's why the Holy Spirit comes down and then just, I mean, what the, the, the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit is really speaking in other people's languages. Um, the Holy Spirit teaches you to speak other people's languages, right? Okay, I digress. Let's keep going. Uh, the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd were astonished at his teaching. All right, let's, let's, let's stop there. Uh, let's read Luke 19, 45 to 47. We have two more passages, and then we're going to make some sense of, of, of everything that we're reading. Um, he entered the, temp the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer. You see, this is, this is Luke here. But you have made it a den of robbers. Um, and he was teaching daily in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men uh, men of the people were seeking to destroy him. Okay, so we see that Luke's emphasis is prayer. Mark's emphasis is a house of prayer for all nations. And, and, I, and we'll show you why in a second. And then our final verse, Matthew 12, 6. 
I tell you, this is Jesus. Something greater than the temple is here. That's Jesus. He's talking about himself. <laughs> Something greater than the temple? It's someone, but some, we'll, we'll use something, right? All right, let's go through what we've been saying. Jesus stages a, per, a parousia to wink at his return. Jer Jerusalem belongs to Jesus, and he is its king. Jerusalem does not recognize him, and it'll be destroyed in AD 70. It'll be destroyed, and then again in 135 AD, completely destroyed, and it's made illegal for for Jews to live in Jerusalem, uh, hence the diaspora. The temple belongs to Jesus. It does not receive him and will be destroyed. This is, it's destroyed in AD 70. Uh, but it's beside the point. The temple was incomplete. Um, and Jesus completes it. He's better than the temple. The temple cleansing is about the better temple showing up and explaining the point of the temple. That's what the temple cleansing is about. The temple cleansing is not about some intersectional point. The temple cleansing is about the better temple showing up. Well, firstly, Jesus, who is king of the temple, showing up, and he starts to rearrange the furniture, and that's an in indication that you know, it belongs to him. Okay, I'm going uh, to give you six ideas, and then we're done. Number one, the temple cleansing is about a return to encounter. Jesus comes in, and what has happened is these guys are selling doves, and they're, they're, they're exchanging coins in the outer court. The outer court is for, the pr for prayer of women and Gentiles. Now, we have to understand that it is okay for the money changers to be near the temple. Exodus 30 literally says, don't come with your strange money. Go exchange your money for the, for the, 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 the temple shekel. The, the, the temple only took Tyrian shekels. It was a, it was a, um, it was a, a certain t type of money from Tyre, not Tyrian Lannister, <laughs> Tyre. Um, and so the, the law of Moses allowed for the, the, the money changers to be there. Not to be in the outer court, to be outside of the temple, but to be there. Because people would come from a, from a long mile away, and they had this breach with God, and so they'd come to the temple to repair the breach. And God had graciously made a way for people to repair that breach, to, off, to offer sacrifices and go, God, I'm sorry for my sins, and I love you, I've traveled a long way, I exchanged my money, I brought the Tyrian shekel, this is for you. Okay? So, like I said, it's okay for them to be there, just not in that place. It's okay for people to be selling animals near the temple, just not in the court of the Gentiles and women. But these guys have moved in. Maybe part of the reason that they've moved in is because Jerusalem was typically a city of 75,000. And during this week, the Passover week, the big Passover week, it would swell to about 125 to 150,000. There's all these strangers from out of town that are pilgrimaging to uh, Jerusalem. And so it's an absolute, it's craziness right now at Jerusalem. It's craziness in the temple. And so these people are trying to sell and provide sacrifices for people to repair the breach 
but what's happening is there's a loss of encounter. Right? And so Jesus comes in, and he's like, are you kidding me right now? The temple, look, sacrifices are important. Right? Like, sacrifices are really important. In fact, the New Testament is full of sacrifices that the church should do. Right? You're a priest. You should be bringing sacrifices. Right? We used to sing this song. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We used to sing it all the time. It's the worst song ever. <laughs> but it was, it's, the, the Christians are supposed to bring sacrifices. I don't know if you knew that. Do a word study on sacrifices. There's like a ton of them. Half of them involve bringing money. Um, that's New Testament. So, Jesus isn't opposed to sacrifices. That's not what the point is here. But the point, the point is, is that you're bringing some, some, some things that are not supposed to be in this space, in this space. And so he gets really ticked. Like, the peop- it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. How are the Gentiles going to pray when there's sheep and goats bleeding everywhere and, right, and people, there's money ch- changing, and it's just a, it, there's no encounter. There's a loss of presence. Right? So he drives these guys out and goes, guys, you're, you're robbing people. You're a, this has become a den of robbers. You are robbing people of the presence of God. That's what's happened. So, get out of the temple. Okay, if you need to carry your watermelons to the other side of the temple, go around. If you need, if you need to change, change people's money so that they can make the right offering, do it outside of the temple. Just don't do it in here. So it's, it's order of priority. You hearing me? It's not about oppression. It's about priority. Are you seeing this? What's the big idea here? The big idea, the temple cleansing, number one, is about a return to encounter. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Prayer is ultimately about encounter. Second Chronicles, remember Solomon and the dedication of the temple? And, and God, like the presence of God literally shows up and, 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 and the Lord, you know, he says, man, if you, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will show up and I will hear, if they pray at this temple, I will show, they will encounter me. The church is about encounter. When you come to the temple of the Lord, it's about encounter. It's not about, it's the, the primary reason why we're here is to encounter God. It's not about, well, the church needs, we need to be doing, look, the church exists, number one, to minister to the Lord. Number two, to equip the saints. Number three, to reach the world. Not in the reverse order. And what's happened is we've made, we've, we've literally done this in our churches. Where the church has become about anything else except ministering to the Lord and equipping the saints. And when you do that, you've made the church a den of robbers. You are robbing people of the presence of God and you're making, and you're reducing our congregation to the lowest common denominator. And then you wonder why people are so starved spiritually. And people, it's, it's disgusting what's happening in our churches. We have to return to the order of priority. The church exists to minister to the Lord. If all we did was worship on a Sunday morning, that would be good enough. Do you remember when, when the, the woman had a year's wages, right, of perfume? And she dumps it on Jesus' feet as this incredible act of worship. This costly perfume, um, likely her, uh, her wedding dowry, likely for her wedding night. Very costly ointment. 
okay? And she dumps it on Jesus' feet. And Judas, right, was the guy who's like, well, we could have given it to the poor. It's like, now, not now, Judas. <laughs> Look, social justice, sh we should be involved in justice, okay? In justice, and, and, and I, by social justice, I mean like the biblical justice. We're talking about the ministry to the poor. Ministry to people who have, I'm with you. Right? Like that was one of the, the, the apostles' concerns in the book of Acts. As long as, okay, just make sure that the poor are taken care of. Right? I'm with you. But not now, Judas. We're worshiping Jesus. Interesting that the guy that was so concerned about the poor was also the guy that was thieving. No, you know what? I don't have a problem with church buildings. Stupidest complaint ever. All my tithes are going to the church buildings. It's dumped on Jesus' feet. If the building is facilitating encounter, it's good enough. Listen to me. Listen to me. Some of our critiques are not biblical. They suck. That's a horrible critique. Well, we just we need to get we need churches need to get out of the four walls of the church, and we need to begin. Yeah, totally. But guess what? Our primary ministry is to the Lord. And if you, if we dumped everything at His feet, it's good enough. Get a better critique. When we start to be about encounter, then let's talk about getting out of the four walls of the church. It's not that we don't equip the saints, and that we don't reach the world. It's that our priorities matter. No. I'm a priest. I'm going to bring my sacrifices, and I'm going to minister to the Lord. When I come to church, it's about Him and His. I'm going to minister to Him. As I minister to Him, I encounter Him. I sense His presence. My prayers are heard. I'm ministered to. And anything else makes the church a den of thieves and robbers. It robs people. I don't want to be a part of a church like that. I need the presence of God in my life. I desperately need the presence of God. And I need to minister to the Lord. I need to repair the breach on Sunday mornings. Come and got them here. <laughs> my hands are dirty. I've tracked in the mud from my week. Cleanse me, O oh God. Purge me, O oh God. Wash me whiter than snow. Lord, I receive your blood today. I receive your body today. Father, I receive grace today. Lord, I receive your strength today, your power towards me today. You hearing me? Number one, the temple cleansing is about a return to encounter. Number two, the temple cleansing is, a, is, a, is a, about a focus on ministry. Right? A return to a priority, just as I, just as I, 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 just, I just preached my number to you. Oh, great. <laughs> Next point. Number three, I hate doing points. It sucks. <laughs> the temple cleansing is about proof of residence. Um, I know my mom has been to my house when everything has been rearranged. <laughs> I mean everything. That woman thinks that I'm still her son. <laughs> you, you know, right? Like, have you ever noticed that? Like, it's like it's so frustrating. Um, I live in Palm Springs. My parents are Canadian. They live in, in, in Ontario. And we just had them for a, for a month, my God. And, um, and so, so, so we, got, we rented them a place um, 
in Bermuda Dunes, which is just outside of Palm Desert where we live. And so they're, you know, you know, put them over there, stay there. I'll see you when I'll see you, right? But of course, I come home and uh, I was on this trip, I don't know where I was, I come back and I can't find anything. <laughs> and uh, my brother, Gabriel, I call him Gubis Gaidingus. <laughs> That's his Latin name. Um, he was staying in my room. And <laughs> the room, of course, was trashed because that's what Gabriel does to rooms. <laughs> and so I'm bringing my bride home, <laughs> right? My wife, my wife and I are coming back from this trip, and I'm like, I, so I call my sister, <laughs> and I'm like, hey, can you please clean up after whatever Gabriel's done to our, my room? You know, like, my holy of holies. He has sacrificed, he's committed the abomination of desecration upon the altar. Yeah, exactly. So, so my sister sends my mom, right? And she rearranges everything. I can't find anything, right? The whole house is rearranged, and I knew it. I knew it wasn't my sister. I knew my mom had done it because everything was completely done because she has this sense of ownership. Like, it's, it's my house. It's my son. Right? And these things are not in the right place. I'm like, they are in the right place. I can't find my deodorant. I don't know where my toothbrush is. Why is the bed in that corner, you know? <laughs> and if Jesus is true, I can tell if somebody is following Jesus. I can tell, dude, if Jesus is your king, because if he's taken residence in your temple, he has rearranged furniture. I can tell a church where Jesus is king because Jesus has come in and changed the priority. Jesus is not your life coach. There's so many people, he's my life coach. He's going to sit down with me and we're going to talk about, discuss my giftings. And you know what I mean? Just see like really where I should be leading right now, where I should not be leading. What should we be really leaning into? I did a Myers-Briggs assessment with him, <laughs> and I figured out my purpose, and it's just been pretty cool. So he's consulting me, and so I'm sort of weighing through some of the options that he's given me. That's not Jesus. Jesus comes into the temple, and he begins to rearrange priorities. Right? There's no discussion on, 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 on major issues. He rearranges things. Now, you might be uncomfortable with those things, and you're working through those things, and you're trying to find your toothbrush again. You, know, you might be bristling at some of the rearrangement. But if Jesus is king, and he's taken up residence in the temple, he has rearranged furniture. Has Jesus rearranged furniture in your life? Or is he still your life coach? Because if he's your life coach, he's not your king. And that needs to change. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. People who have allowed Jesus to come into the temple don't see Jesus as a life coach. They see him as an owner. Your life 
belongs to Jesus. You don't own you. You don't belong to you. You were purchased with a price. I'm, I, love church. I love this church I'm going to. I'm like really manifesting right now. <laughs> manifesting what? <laughs> Demons? <laughs> Self-will? Or, the, or the, the will of God? Is it the will of self that's being manifest? You hearing me? No, there will be an arrangement of priorities if Jesus is your king. You're not going to be perfect, but there's been an arrangement. Number four, the temple cleansing is about spiritual reality. Is my spiritual life Canal Street? You know, where you go down to Canal Street and it's just hustle and it's bustle and people trying to sell you a Rolex? Right? And it's just, everything's just fake. It's busy, and it's fake. And it has an appearance of busyness, and it has an appearance of value, but there's nothing of value. It's just a show. Spiritual reality, Jesus is reminding the people of spiritual reality. No, the temple is about encounter. The temple is about God. I'm reordering the temple. I own the temple. I am God. By the way, I'm better than the temple. The Lord has been convicting me recently, last probably year, about my prayerlessness. sucks because I've been prayerless. I've had seasons of prayer where I've been, I've, I've prayed and that's why I know, I know where I, you know, I know how, was it Keith Green, I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. You know, I know and so the Lord has been kind of working on me so I've been, I've been responding some days, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get my prayer life to an hour a day. So I, I go on, an hour, I have an hour walk where I go and I pray and I have a whole format. It's been good. Sometimes it's not good, but this, the Holy Spirit's convicting me. And that conviction hurts. And it's something that's been continual. As I, as I was studying this message, you know, I'm just going, when Jesus comes in, he reorders and then he reminds us of spiritual reality. Is my, Nathan, is your life just a canal street of ministry? Where you're busy, but there's no spiritual reality. You don't know God. You're not praying. There's no presence. There's no priority or urgency of ministry. It's just busyness, travel, teaching. Palm City people, or Palm Sunday people, rather, Palm Sunday churches are churches where the furniture has been arranged, it's been rearranged and the, the, the spiritual realities have been uncovered. Finally, the temple cleansing is about the rushing in of heaven into your life. The veil's been torn now. Right? The old temple, Jesus is, is 
You know, he comes in and he's cleansing and he's going, guys, this is cool, but take this outside because you're robbing people of encounter. Okay, so thank you for, thank you money changers, but outside. Thank you sheep dudes, but not here. This is not the spot. This is a house of prayer. This is a house of encounter. This is a house that belongs to me, but ultimately Jesus is going to fulfill that temple. And the fulfillment of the temple is him. He's the better temple. And the better temple is really his presence. Once the veil is torn, now the temple has become obsolete. He's the temple. It's, it's his presence. And what, what, the, what the, the, the tearing of the veil means for you and I today is think of you know, the, the, the holiest of holy place, right? It's, it's, if you go in there, it's God's presence. And it's thick and it's powerful and God is there. And once the temple is, once, once the veil has been torn, that leaks out into the people. Sometimes we has, have this sense that, you know, we're com I'm coming to church and I'm coming to, to get, right? I need, to, I need to get a touch from God. And that's true. There's, a, there's an element of that. But now that the, the veil has been torn, heaven is actually rushing towards you. Like this morning when we, when we received communion, you don't take communion, you receive it. And the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus, the most powerful elements in the universe, are rushing towards me. I didn't even know we were doing communion this morning, but it, it found me. Well, I was here at the, at the, in the church, right? And the, pre, the power of God and the presence of God came rushing towards me this morning because Jesus tore the veil and he completed the presence picture. Why don't you stand up? I'm going to turn the service over to Pastor David, but I just want to... I just want to pray for you. Earlier, uh, David um, talked about somebody who, who felt discouraged. And um, I, just wanted, I just wanted to... Um, I just wanted to say something along those lines and just encourage somebody. I believe it's in James chapter 4. And it, the scripture reads, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And um, I think in light of what Jesus did with the tearing of the veil, we could say that, that as you draw near to God, God rushes near to you, right? He rushes into you. And I just wanted to say, some of you, once again, if you've, you've been feeling spiritually dry and you're going like, I, you know, maybe you're just feeling lazy. You ever felt lazy and lethargic and you're just like God I want to pray more but I just am lazy you know Paul McCartney once wrote a lyric I'm in love but I'm lazy you know God I love you but I'm just lazy and um, I just want to pray because, because we need the Holy Spirit to love God you know that like you, you, you need God to love God you like so my, my prayer like this morning, my, my prayers recently have been, God, I want to love you and I need your help because I'm lazy. 
I'm so lethargic and I get so comfortable, but I need you, Lord. I need more of you in my life. I need your presence. I need encounter with you. Would you stir in a fresh way in me? Would you cause there to be a hunger and a thirst for righteousness in me? I need a hunger and thirst, God. I need a thirst for you. I need a hunger for you. God, I don't want to be, you know, just some, some person that just sort of floats through life and busy and Canal Street Christian and, you know, I'm oh yeah, I'm busy, but there's just no presence. If that's you this morning, I just want to pray for you. You don't need to lift your hand. You just, just be where you're at. I just want to pray and just, Lord, we just, we just, we come before you. God, we need you, but we're lazy sometimes and we feel stuck. You feel stuck in the mud. I'm talking to you today. God sees you. You feel stuck in the mud. You feel lazy. You feel like, I'm just like, I'm just not disciplined. And I, I believe the spirit of God wants to come and awaken you in the coming days. I'm believing that for some of you today is a day different. You know, depending on how you respond to this message, today is a day that it, it's like the Holy Spirit flips a page in your life. Where th that's not going to be your story. Your story is not going to be that you were just lazy during your life and you never sought God. You never experienced God. You never sensed His presence in your life. But know that the Holy Spirit from today on begins to whet your appetite for the things of God. It begins to animate your life. He begins to draw you to himself. He begins to give you a hunger and a thirst because Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. God, we need you. Give us a hunger and a thirst for your presence, God. Come and reorder our temple, God. Maybe there's some of us today where there, need, where there needs to be a reordering, God. Where we need to submit to you as Lord. God, we've been looking at you as like our, our counselor. Our, 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 our psychometric. And God, we need you to be king. Jesus, would you come in and begin to change? Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org. In the darkness.